celebrating 10 years of podcasting and online ministry, you are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Now join your hosts, Dr. Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronan, Montana. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Uh, this is yours truly, Brian Chilton, uh, joined, side, uh, joined, <laughs> joined by, if I can get the words out, uh, the our one and only cowboy apologist, Curtis Evelo. Uh, Curtis, how are things over in Montana? I know over here it is dark and stormy. Storming outside like crazy. We've been getting some craziness. Yeah, no, we've been uh, we've been pretty good uh, past uh, past several several days. It's been kind of just a just even keel. So yeah, mid thirties and uh, you know twenties for the lows. The bad thing is, is we're just close enough to the river where our ranch is that um, we get we get the fog that that comes in from the river and, and uh, there's times where we just get completely fogged in and you can't see nothing. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, yep. for our listeners, if you're, uh, or for our viewers, if you're watching tonight, uh, I've got, you know, we, we, this, our luck has uh, not been that great this year, 2023. Uh, but we, as we said, as I said before, and I really believe it, God must have some blessings in store uh, because the devil's fighting us. And in fact, uh, I, I heard the other day about some uh, potential blessings coming our way, uh, which may even impact uh, one of the projects we're doing uh, here at Bellator Christie, but uh, not really prepared to mention that just yet on the podcast, but I'll be sharing that with our team first as we as we move ahead and move onward. But uh, we've got some exciting things coming up this year and looking forward to see what God does uh, with this wonderful team. And by the way, we just added three new contributors yep. and high quality contributors at that. Uh, we've got with us uh, Dr. Bruce Price. He's uh, down in Georgia. Uh, has been pastoring down there for, I think, goodness, I think he said at least 15 years. Um, wonderful guy. Come to find out, I- I'm going to steal this phrase from uh, some from family and friends up around the Boston area. He's wicked smart. In fact, I didn't realize this guy has a, a degree in physics. I had no clue. Degree in mathematics and physics in his undergrad was in that. I told him, I said, Dude, I, I don't know if you've ever watched the show, the television show, Big Bang Theory. I said, you're like Sheldon Cooper smart. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I knew he was smart, but I didn't know that that uh, he had like was trained in physics and, and math. So he's going to come on as a contributor, and he's going to have some great stuff. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Daniel Sloan's coming on mm-hmm. with us. Daniel is an adjunct professor at Liberty University, and he actually, his mentor – was uh, the late Dr. Ed Heinsohn. Uh If if you uh, if Dr. Ed Heinsohn was a, a tremendous Old Testament scholar, also was uh, big into eschatology and uh, and and really taught. We really went into great detail with prophecies and things of this nature. Uh, Daniel has had the opportunity to actually t- uh, take over some of his classes after uh, Dr. Heinsohn passed and with an untimely passing. 
at that. And then Tom Knopf, uh, he's originally from North Dakota, uh, but he's now currently living around the Dallas, Texas community. Uh, he'll be coming on as another contributor as well. So we just, we just keep the God keeps blessing. Now, my, and here's the thing. My prayer was that we would get up to 12 and lo and behold, God answered that and, and gave us 14. So we are up to 14 contributors altogether now. And so, uh, we've got some great stuff coming. That's good. That's good. Yep. And North Dakota moved down to Texas. I can, I know why. I know why. <laughs> Is it the winter time? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I have some, I have some slang. I can sling at him and he'll, he'll pick up on it right away. I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah, so we're we're jumping in um, into sanctification and growth. Now, as we go through this, folks, the idea we're packed, the idea behind us packing this um, um, series like this in such a neat package for you is so that you can go back on our on our website and you can actually put in um what we're doing here you can put in you know any of the names or any of the things you know the the groupings the episodes you can put those in and it'll come in and show up um in a format am i correct brian that's correct absolutely yeah so what it'll do is allow you to be able to go back through um and just select and and go through those um portions of the series and so um, if there's anything you need, um, anything, any more information or any kind of help getting, getting the information that you want, um, shoot us an email. Um, we'll, we'll sure to be, uh, answering that and get that right out to you and any information we need to, um, feel free to do that and to, uh, create questions and, uh, we'll be glad to answer them. We got a heck of a team jumping in now and whew, boy. Man, I I I don't know. I honestly don't know another team that is that stacked. I mean, I'm like the I'm like the small man out kind of thing, you know? I mean, it's like, whoa, these guys are big hitters, man. <laughs> but and it's all God. I mean, I tell you, this yeah. thing started back if you go in uh back to one of our newsletters, we were talking about this about how you know, God gave us a vision. It started with you right. and Michelle, you know, Curtis, to, right. to add team members to Bellator Christie. And lo and behold, we now have 14. That's the most we've ever had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and people who really bring a lot to the table from different areas of expertise. And that's really fascinating yeah. to see. And what's really neat about it, Brian, is they're all doing it with a dedication to sharing their knowledge so that others can have the answers that they need. Absolutely. Most certainly. Yeah. Well, let's jump in here, Brian, and let's just jump right into this, both feet all at once into the big puddle, the deep end of the pool. What do we mean by sanctification? Okay, so last week uh, in our in our in our podcast, we were talking about justification mm-hmm. and how that talks about being justified or made right before God. And if you think about this, if you remember back in our first episode on sanctif- on the soteriology, we were talking about the time tense 
uh, or the time factor when it comes to salvation. How the Bible tells us that we have been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Uh, have been saved, being, we've been justified, mm-hmm. are being saved, sanctified, and will be saved. Talking about the future tense, uh, that's talking about glorification. So last week we talked about that initial entrance into salvation about being made right with God. Today we're talking about sanctification, which is an ongoing process. The word sanctification comes from the term sanctify. And this idea comes from two biblical terms, uh, kados or kados, meaning holy or separate, and hagias, meaning holy set apart. Uh, uh, even, uh, uh, you know, hagias is, uh, um, I was trying to think of the word for saints. It is it's a, a, a variation of, of the term hagias, uh, which means holy set apart. The holy ones be ones who are holy and set apart. Hagiasmas uh, is means to make holy. So hagias means someone who is holy, someone who set, set apart. Uh, hagiasmos means uh, to the process of making someone mm-hmm. holy. So hagias, holy set apart, that's another word that's often ascribed to saints, uh, someone who is set apart. So sanctification relates to the process of making a person holy, uh, purified, pure to stand before God. In the Old Testament times, a process was made to prepare one to see God or to cleanse one's sins. If you think of the priest, mm-hmm. uh, the priest had to go through a series of rituals to make himself pure and holy before he could stand before God in the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the New Testament, sanctification refers to this process by which God makes the believer holy. And so it's an ongoing process. It's a, it, it's a process that really, quite honestly, uh, lasts a lifetime. Hmm. Yeah, and a scripture that comes up to me right now is is in Peter where he says, um, but you are a holy priesthood, a royal generation. Absolutely. Talking about us. So Mm -hmm. what are the two senses of sanctification then? So on the one hand, sanctification means that a believer is set apart. That goes along with the terms uh, kados and hagios, uh, that we're set apart. We're not like the world. We're to be something higher. We're to be something better. If you think of the scripture that talks about living according to the flesh, as contrasted with living according to the spirit, uh, living according to the spirit is set apart from the normal normal parlance of the times. The believer is to be holy like God is holy. Uh, and that's what we find in the Old Testament, in the Torah. Uh, God says, be holy for I am holy. But on the other hand, sanctification refers to the spiritual growth that occurs within the believer. And so that's also an important factor as well, that we're growing uh, this is an ongoing process uh, that that we're being made into the image of Christ. Hmm. Now, just just out of wanting to process or think this through, if we have a um, a biblical view or a biblical worldview that tells us that we. Um, we then turn our lives to Christ, and all of a sudden, there's a burning desire um, for for more knowledge and more knowledge. Then that that is in the process because we're gonna we're gonna move further down the line 
in our Christian walk, growing in that, right? But mm-hmm. what does that do if we have a biblical view that we turn to Christ and then we can go back living our own way um, just because we pray to pray to prayer? We've we've now then just what does that do for us then? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Curtis, and we're, and we're going to deal we're going to deal a little bit in a moment as we go along about the importance of of growing and maturing, um, and I think even and we're going to see that this that this occurs with different people in in different time spans, and and there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, so I, I want to be really cautious with this because there may be people who who legitimately have an experience with Christ, but they may be slower to mature than say than other people might be. Right. Uh, sure, th- there might be a time delay, but I would say that over a span of time, if there's no change whatsoever, then you have to really question whether it was legitimate. You know whether whether that was a little legitimate profession of faith, whether that was a legitimate acceptance of Christ at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really difficult to say. Uh, ultimately, God knows. But um, you know, if if you if you think of someone who who comes to Christ and you think the weight of sin that's been released and been redeemed, and you you mm-hmm. think that there's going to be some transformation that's happened in that person's life to to at least some degree. Uh, but again, you know, this, this is going to be a process that happens, uh, with different people with, you know, at different times, but, um, I guess it just depends kind of, it's kind of almost like a depend question really depends on the circumstances Mm -hmm. about what you're, you know, but but biblically, I I think there to, to give a biblical answer, I think there should be some type of change brought forth in the person, but to the level and degree that that change is made, it really, in some ways, depends on that person's spiritual growth. Okay, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to say, you know, the the mindset behind what I was talking about. I know you know what I'm talking about, oh, sure. but yeah. but it sure seems like there is a um, a portion of Christianity that, um, or a segment of Christianity that says, um, in case of emergency, break glass. Yeah. That's how we treat that's how we treat Jesus, right? Yeah. Another one is we can turn towards him, but then once we've prayed that prayer, we're good. You're in the kingdom. Now just go back to living your life and do what you want to do. And there's it's it's it sure seems like it sure seems like that mindset is what really drives a a poor view of of sanctification then oh absolutely uh, yeah it's it's uh well we, we've in many cases well and I, i'm just going to be, be honest i think we have become so obsessed with church numbers that we've we've weakened and cheapened the gospel just to get I hate to say it this way, but it's just it's just the way it is to get a butt in the seat, mm-hmm. uh, to get a butt in the pew. I think we've mm-hmm. in many in some not not everywhere, but I think in some places we've cheapened the gospel that uh, you know 
you come to Jesus, all your woes are going to be, clean, you know, clean. You're going to be cleaned up. You're going to be, uh, you're going to have no problems. You you come to Jesus, you'll have mm. everything you want in the bag of chips. Mm. It doesn't necessarily work that way, you know. Yes, you have great blessings when you come mm-hmm. to Christ. Yes, that spiritual peace you face, you you experience is unlike anything else that you'll have in life. But with the process of discipleship means that there are, you know, Jesus even says, count the cost, mm-hmm. you know, count the cost, consider the mm-hmm. cost. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Curtis. I, I think that this whole mindset that you simply say a prayer and then, um, and, but with no discipleship, nothing else required is, is very problematic because, um, now I do believe that it, that you, you know, to come to Christ, you know, you repent of your sins, you you confess mm-hmm. him as Lord. And, um, you know, I want to be careful on the other hand, because I don't want it to sound legalistic on the other hand, too, because some people may only have just that enough, that much inf- information to say, I want Jesus in my life. I don't know anything else, right. but I want him in my life. And so right. I want to be careful with that, too. I mean, there's really a fine razor thin line that we tread there, uh, and if we go on either side, we we start getting in dangerous territory. But I think, but I think honestly, Brian, what you're saying, and what you've said just recently is is if if God has truly in, interacted with your life and you have truly turned it over, there's going to be some change. There's going to be some desire yeah. that's going to turn you. And it might be, it might not be a fighter jet turning. It might more be more like a freighter ship, you know? Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. So. But yeah, there's your desires. I mean, you know, Thomas Aquinas talks a lot about the will and desires of people. And uh, this actually used to be a Thomas Aquinas shirt, but the only thing you can see is about a little bit of his face. The rest of it's faded out. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, he talks a lot about desires. And in many cases, uh, a person's desires are going to change. You know, the, their mindset is going to change. I think even of, a, a, you know, a, I, I know the late Barry Leventhal get told a story one time of a guy who experienced Christ in the concentration camp. And uh, the only thing he knew, he, he called him the mystery Messiah, because but he knew that his life was changed. Even in the the, the pits mm. of hell on earth, being in the Holocaust as he was, those mm. those evil concentration camps. He talked about the hope, the newfound hope he had with this mystery Messiah. He didn't know a lot, but he knew enough that was revealed to him, and even that much, he it changed his mindset. Um, in many different ways. And so uh, I'd love to go back and, and find out where he got that story and uh, get more details about the story. Cause it's a fantastic, fantastic, uh, amazing thing that God did in that guy's life. I think his name was Joseph, if I'm not mistaken, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I think there will be some type of change evoked. Uh, and I think you have to be really concerned about someone who says they confess Christ, but there's no change whatsoever. Mm-hmm. That That is very concerning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just wanted to I just wanted to kind of maybe maybe pack that for us a little bit better. Oh sure, and, yeah, know, and try to try to show that. So it's um, a great question, and, and it's something that a lot of places uh, are are facing now. I think I think a lot of the problems we have in the modern times have come from you know an emphasis of salvation with no consequences. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah. It's important, folks. Discipleship, walking alongside somebody, taking them, giving them, giving them uh, direction, helps, all those things. We have no excuse nowadays with all of the tools that we have online, with the access. I mean, everybody's got a phone or a tablet or some way to access. There's no real excuse. So Absolutely. Yep. So anyway, name some characteristics of sanctification. Okay. As I go through this, I'm going to bring up some scripture. And yeah. uh, with my voice being as it is, not very well tonight, I'm going to ask uh, Curtis if he'll read these scriptures as we go through. And I'm going to let me pull up the scripture real quickly. And so if you're watching this, you can actually read along with us. We're going to read from the uh, CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Give me just a second, and we'll have this pulled up. And The official um, Bible of the Bill of Christie ministry. <laughs> and you know the reason why it is? <laughs> because I went to a convention, and I was gifted with all kind of different uh, – I actually won a pastor's Bible that was a CSB Bible. Wow. And, and uh, the folks at home have been so good to me. Yeah. They let me use the translation and the uh, layman's manual on Christian apologetics. I went ahead and used it for the book on heaven. And so they just being so good to me. Uh, that's, that's the one use probably more than anything else. But there's a lot of other great translations out there, folks. Uh, just, just so you know, but uh, so it should be pulled up for you. But let me just go ahead real quickly and uh, talk talk through some characteristics. And I'm using some stuff here that I uh, that I got from um, uh, Millard Erickson. Um, he gives five characteristics of sanctification, and I thought these were really, really good. First of all, he says sanctification is supernatural. Uh, sanctification is not something that a person can bring about him or herself. Rather, the process requires the work of God in a person's life. Mm. If a person could make your, oneself holy by effort alone, then salvation and the sanctification process would become a work-based initiative rather than about divine grace. So, mm. so the whole process of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification, all of it together is truly a work of God. That means that it is supernatural. So let's take a look, first of all, at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Sure. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Who's doing the sanctifying? The God, God of, of peace. peace. He's the one doing the sanctifying there. Mm-hmm. And so let's also take a look at Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Uh, Ephesians 5. Five twenty-five through twenty-seven. Let's see, is it pulled? Did it pull up there? So five twenty-five. Yeah, twenty-five through twenty-seven. Okay. Okay. So here we go. It says. Um, uh, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water of the word 
he did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Absolutely. So here Christ loved the church. Notice he gives himself for her. He gives himself for the people of God. And and the goal behind that is to make the church holy. Uh, and he cleanses us. That's this whole process of sanctification by the washing of water, by the word, and to present us to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that. So this process of sanctification is that means by which God is truly, uh, Christ is truly making us in his image and presenting us uh, to the Father. Now, the final final scripture on this, uh, on this section is in Titus 2.14. Let me pull this up, Titus 2.14. Yep. Here we go. So 214 says he gave himself for us to redeem us all lawlessness and to cleanse us from for himself, a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. So that kind of goes along with what the que- the question that you uh, that you presented a while ago there, Curtis, because. I think we can see that the that the goal was never to leave us as we were, but to uh, redeem us from lawlessness, redeem us from sin, and from our former ways, and to make us, you know, His people, and and desiring to do good works, desiring mm-hmm. to do works. That's right. Not out of obligation, but out of a desire to serve to serve Him. So then, but okay, I, I got I got some more before we move on. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the first one was the, the sanctification supernatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is that sanctification is progressive. This is the second of the five. Sanctification is not a one-time process. Rather, it's an ongoing process leading to one's perfection. And so uh, i got a couple of verses here. Uh, let, let me go ahead and read this first one because it's a short one. Uh, uh, Philippians 1, six says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to complete until the day of Christ. Now let's bring up Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Let me pull this up. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Okay, it says, 9, verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek, Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Sethan, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. And so there again, I mean, going back to the you, uh, going back to the question, and it's amazing, mm-hmm. I didn't, I've never paid attention how all these verses... Really coincide with what, but 
you know, we get, see the putting on the new self. You're, we're being renewed, and we we put off the old self in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so it's a progressive work. It's supernatural. Number one, it's progressive. Number two, uh, third, sanctification is to make a person like Christ. And here I'm thinking of uh, Romans eight twenty nine, where it talks mm-hmm. about those who knew he predestined to come conform to the image of his son and be firstborn among many, you know, brothers and sisters. So uh, the goal here is to make a person uh, like Christ. So number four, uh, sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Galatians five twenty five. Let me pull this up. Galatians five twenty five. And it says here, it says, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not, and we go go to verse 26 here, because this kind of fits in. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, everything, or uh, envying one another. Amen. So there's a distinction there between living in the spirit mm-hmm. and, and uh, living in the flesh. And, and verse 26 is one such example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so as we see sanctification is a supernatural work, it's a progressive work. It makes us like Christ. We see that it's actually a work of the Holy Spirit as he's moving us to live by the spirit. And then lastly, the last of these five characteristics is that it's an active work. Now, here, here's really where it gets interesting, because we know that this is a work of God. We know it's progressive. We know the goal is to make us like Christ. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. But we're not passive agents in this. We're not passive agents in this at all. Sanctification is is uh, an active work, meaning that a person can help or hinder one's growth in the Lord. Sure. So... You know, th- this is important thing to, to to remember. You can help your growth in the Lord by taking on spiritual disciplines and being obedient to the Lord. Uh, but you can also hinder your spiritual growth by uh, willfully in sin. So, Paul, let's take a look at uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. We've got a lot of scripture here. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. We'll pull this up for us. Philippians 2. 12 to 13. Okay. So verse 12 starts out by saying, therefore, and you always got to ask, what's it there for? <laughs> so he's talking about something that, that he was already spoken on. So he says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed. So now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So notice in 13, we see this God working, God's working in this process. But notice also in verse 12, where he talks about working out your own salvation. What does that mean? It's talking about, in many ways, you know, adding to contributing to this process about being obedient to the Lord. And we also see another passage of scripture here in Romans 12, 9. Let me pull this up. Uh, Romans, well, actually, you know what? Let me go, let's go first of all and read Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then we'll go down to 9. Okay. Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
Okay. So Romans uh, 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Mm, amen. Let's go that's on down hard, to verse that's hard to read. That's hard to read because I memorized it in ESV. <laughs> <laughs> so, or I, yeah, well, yeah, in ESV and in New King James. So, yeah, it's kind of, that's hard to... <laughs> But I love the flow of the CSB. I do. <laughs> Let's take a look at verse 9. There's a lot here in chapter 12 okay. regarding justification. So verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Deceit. Uh, detest, excuse me. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Go ahead and read verse 10 there, too. That, that's, a, that's a good one. Okay, so let me start over with 9 so I can just kind of get the flow of that. Let, the love, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Mm-mm. Wow. A powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. Let's, let's go on down now and also verses 16 and 17. Uh, oh, it's actually right there, 16 and 17. It says in 16, it says, uh, you just moved it. Oh, sorry. There we go. <laughs> it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Is it just me, or do do we catch like a little glimpse of the Beatitudes, or really the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. in that? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, and also the Shema. The Shema, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we can say here, the while sanctification is God's work, the believer has a role as well, entailing both the removal of sinfulness and the development of holiness. And we can add to this process by by uh, really striving to grow our relationship with the Lord. I mean, it's like with any relationship in life. I mean, you know, no matter what relationship it is, you, you can do things to help that relationship grow or you can do things to hinder that relationship. Mm-hmm. Spiritual disciplines is a wonderful way to grow your relationship with the Lord. And, and the disciplines can impl- include prayer, uh, meditative prayer. Now, now here's the thing. It's important. You know, prayer is a two-way conversation. Right. It's not only talking to God, but it's also listening to God. Now, a lot of people have a problem with with that these days and for, for reasons that we, we don't have time to get into. But, hey, you know what? We will get into this very soon as, as the season closes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got an episode on this very thing and even going to come into next season, season seven, as we talk about uh, more about revelation of God, the revelation of God, not the final book, but talking about how God reveals himself to us. But prayer, meditative prayer, uh, meditating on the scriptures, contemplative prayer, uh, listening to God, fasting. Uh, now, 
I don't know about the AG church. But I, I know the Baptist church loves to eat. <laughs> we love to eat. So fasting is a difficult thing. But you know, it's not all you know, you don't only have not only have food fast, but you can have other type of fast, like technology fast or or different things like that. Anything that's getting in your way of spending time. What's that now? So the world needs to take a technology fast. Amen. Amen. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, church attendance is is a uh, spiritual discipline. Uh, Bible study, personal devotion, solitude, having time of solitude. Mm-hmm. Jesus went alone in the wilderness. We see that in Mark chapter 1. Curtis, you and I were talking about that. This is past week. Uh, he took time to go in the wilderness to uh, meditate on the word of the Lord and to to uh, spend time alone with the Father. Works of service, uh, doing something for another person. Uh, works of service in doing it for the Lord. A personal reflection is a very important thing, among many other things we could mention. But these are just a few of the spiritual disciplines uh, we can take on in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even the spiritual discipline, you know, you're saying of service, serving our families and serving our families well right. is a spiritual discipline um, as fathers and as husbands and as friends leading our families and our and our communities, really. Absolutely. I agree. So then is sanctification perfected or complete before entering eternity? So so this this is a question that is brought up and, and it is really a lot more difficult to answer than than what I initially thought. You have two schools of thought on this issue. You have those who are perfectionists. It doesn't mean that they have to have everything perfect, but it's talking about this theological concept, and we'll get to it in a minute. Perfectionists and non-perfectionists. And perfectionists uh, are those, like John Wesley, I think he popularized the notion. Yep, he did. To to, Those who hold that a person can be perfect on this side of eternity, uh, perfected on this side of eternity, with the sanctification process. Now, perfection with the way John Wesley meant it isn't the same thing as what we think about perfection being with no sin whatsoever. Mm. He viewed perfection in such a case, uh, in such a way that a person would not willfully sin. It didn't, it didn't include sins of omission or, uh, or accidental sins, but it was, it were, it was consisted of sins that, that you know was wrong and you just choose not to do them and you get, reach such a state that you just choose not to willingly sin against the Lord. That's the way he viewed perfection. But the question is, excuse me, can a person reach that state on this side of eternity? And, that's where really the conversation uh, really, really begins. Um, you know, there are some passages of scripture that make you kind of think that make that perfectionists use to, that, that would make you kind of inclined to wonder if it's not possible. So what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, be ye, he- be ye perfect as my heavenly father, as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, let's take a look at Ephesians 4.13. This is another one. Let me pull this one up. Ephesians it's Brian, as we're going into that, how that's not um, that's not how uh, Wesleyan thought is portrayed with a certain camp. Um, it, it sure seems like it's um, 
that 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 caveat or that um you could say um little bit of digging a little deeper into his thought um really isn't isn't revealed that's interesting yeah yeah so let's take a look at ephesians 4:13 and this is actually part of a larger uh passage of scripture uh let's take a look at the verse 13 there so Verse 13, it says, uh, actually, let me go back to 12, Brian. That sounds good. Start there. It says, it says, verse 12, it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with, the st- with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So that word perf- that word maturity is sometimes translated perfection, and just so happens to be as we're going to move through this, uh, where, where Jesus talks about be perfect. It's many Bible Bible scholars believe that that, that term perfect actually means mature, and so we'll, we'll come back to that here in just a few moments. Uh, so we see that in uh, Ephesians four thirteen. Let's take a look at First uh, Thessalonians five twenty three. We may have already looked at this, but let's take a look at it again First Thessalonians uh, five twenty So 523, it says that, and this is the same one we read. Now may God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, body, and be kept sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So so here, the, the phrase is picked up where he talks about sanctified completely and being kept blameless. You know, those in the perfectionist camp would argue you know, could that not be talking about uh, so a state of perfection? Let's in our last passage of scripture supporting perfectionism. Let's look at Efe, uh, excuse me, Hebrews thirteen twenty and twenty one. Uh, Hebrews thirteen twenty and twenty one. Hebrews thirteen twenty and twenty one. So, verse twenty, it says. <laughs> Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip or equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in the sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So these verses kind of seem to offer at face value uh the idea that total sanctification could be possible for believers on this side. But then there are other verses that are that that are more problematic. Uh let's take a look at first John one eight through ten. Uh first John one eight through ten. Let me pull this up. First John one one eight through ten. <laughs> So it says, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, righteous, to forgive us 
our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this is often presented by non-perfectionists to say, you know, can we really live life? Mm. Even talking about that willful sin, can we ever live life without giving in to some some degree or something like that? Could that ever be possible? And that's a big question mark. Um, let, let's take a look at one more. Um, uh, let's see here. Now, you see, in uh, this is Romans, I believe, 7, 18, and 19. Let's pull that up. Romans 7, 18, and 19. And actually, let's go ahead and do 18 down to 25. Let's go ahead and do the whole, the whole, the whole paragraph. So Romans um, 7, 18 here, uh, verse 18. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with, within me. But there is no ability to do it, for I do not do, do not, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one who does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law when I want, uh, when I want to do what is good, evil is present within me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law that in part in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then... With my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my with my flesh, the law of sin. So there you have a, a you know a difficult passage of scripture when it comes to perfectionist camp because you have Paul, who most certainly was a man after God's own heart, was trying to serve the Lord and do what was right. Right. Um, but he struggled within his mortal body. And so the honest question is, could we ever really reach that point, even where we talk about willful sin? I mean, we may not actively strive to, yeah. to willfully sin, but if we're honest, I mean, you know, we may know that it's wrong to to uh, to give an evil look to that guy who cut in front of us going down the highway. But, you know, you know do we still do it? Or, do you do that? You know. Oh, Brian. <laughs> you need prayer. <laughs> I do. I do. It's a big time. <laughs> well, it, it, in there, um, Paul even says that, um, you, you know, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the righteous one, you know, in front of God. But then later on, he talks about being uh, the chief of sinners. Absolutely. So, so, yeah, there's some problems there. I, I agree. I, I, you know, and so I think that. The the question is, what's the best position to hold? And you know, by you know, by all means, this is this is an argument within. Well, not even an argument, but a discussion within the Christian camp. And and this is more like a third, fourth, you know, third tier you know, doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, in my personal opinion, I think the best mediating position to hold 
is that that sanctification continues all throughout our lifetime mm. and we're never going to completely reach a state of perfection in this life primarily because of the reason that we we are sinful people living in a sinful mm. state and no matter i mean there's only one person who is completely mm. sinless and that's Jesus himself but we should strive uh it's kind of like uh you know, uh, what was it? Uh, Vince Lombardi told the Green Bay Packers, uh, strive for perfection. You may never reach it, but don't let that stop you from trying. You know, it was something like that. It was along that, that whole, uh, that thought process. You, you, we may never reach perfection, but keep striving for that mark and keep growing. So I think that a better way of thinking about this is not so much an aspect of perfection but really more along the lines of what Jesus is emphasizing when he says, be ye perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. I think the whole mindset he has there is to be mature, be spiritually mature, grow in the grace of God and become more Christ-like, become more like God and less like the world. And that's that process of becoming a mature Christian. So I think that rather than striving to be perfect, I think the goal should be striving to be mature in Christ. Good. So could you say sanctification is the process of becoming perfect, but not yet? I think that's a good way of putting it, Curtis. I, I really like that. I, I think it is a process in making us perfect, but we're never going to completely accomplish it until we cross the finish line. And and there is where we see when we're glorified. There's where we see the fruit of our labor. Hmm. That's where we truly see the harvest mm-hmm. occur for our efforts. And you know, I believe it's in Daniel. It talks about how uh, you know in 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 eternity, you know, different you know those who really committed themselves to bringing up others like God, they they shone brighter than than other beings. And so I, you know, I, I don't know if that's if he's talking literally there or metaphorically, but I think that I do believe, and I believe this from my heart that what we do for Christ matters. And I believe even the more we mature, that it's going to have an impact on us, on our relationship for all eternity. Now that's not to say someone who gets saved late in life and doesn't have time to mature, that they're not going to, you know, have anything good in heaven. I'm not saying that because heaven's going to be fantastic. No matter, no matter, you know, how it is for you but but i do think that uh, the things you do for christ are really going to matter and they're going to make an eternal significance Hmm. so brian we're getting i mean we're how far are we getting up on an hour let's see here i see we've got we've got a few more more to go more questions yeah i tell you what the last few are going to be a lot quicker we'll, we'll get through there's a lot less i think there's one more passage of scripture and i'll go ahead and leave the scripture up there gotcha. just for that one okay. and, but the rest of it should kind of go so quicker. i'll go with this next question then it says does sanctification defy us what do you mean by that yeah but well he, here's the question does does sanctification deify us does it make us oh, deify divine yeah, does it make us divine in any sense? And the Eastern Orthodox Church upholds a position called theosis. And theosis is the yeah. yeah, theosis is the belief that sanctification in some way elevates us to partake in the divine attributes. 
And to some degree, believers become God's small g. Now, understand here, if you read the works of uh, of Heisler, you know you're going to understand that uh, God in this sense doesn't mean the God. It may, you know, it means it talks about the divine counsel. Right. Now, there are different theories or different opinions out there, and I'm not going to get into all of that. But uh, but it's kind of the concept there that you're elevated to a divine like status. And the question is, is there any truth to that? Um, theologian Thomas Odin marks an important distinction here. While God may share some of his communicable attributes, wisdom, love, grace, and mercy, he does not, and we could not obtain his incommunicable attributes like God is infinite, ever, ever eternal, meaning he has no beginning, no end. We can be everlasting in the sense that we have a start point, but no, yeah, no right. end. But we can't be eternal that we have no beginning and no end because we're created beings. Well, we already have we a can't, so that that can't even be a thought. So exactly, exactly. So we can obtain, you know, God can give us some of his power, but we are not going to ever be omnipotent. God can give us some of his wisdom and knowledge, but we could never become omniscient. Um, so there's a distinction that needs to be made here. Um so what Odin does is he says that in to a small degree, God does share some of his, if you want to think of it, not necessarily making us uh, into his essence, but sharing some of his energies with, with us, if you want to think of it that way. But that doesn't make us God. It just means that we have an elevated status. We're, we're spiritual beings. And the Bible does tell us that when we get to heaven, that we're going to hold a position even higher than the angels uh, because of the redeemed status we have uh, in Christ Jesus. Uh, but to say, you know, so it has to be qualified there. It has to be qualified there. So, um, some of the communicable attributes God may share with us, but even then, as Odin points out, that, uh, what we may share, what he may share with us is a small portion of what he actually possesses. So he may teach us how to love, which would be a divine attribute. And we may love our families, we may love their people, but that pales in comparison to the type of love that God has for us exactly. and the love by which God loves. So I think that if you if you think about it in that sense, there may be something to it, but you've got to use a lot of strong qualifiers because otherwise people may think that, that we're trying to teach some type of <laughs> pantheistic notion, and that has been taught in some circles. Uh, that we, in some sense, become God himself. And that's certainly not what happens at all. Right. No one could be God except God himself. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So does sanctifying grace change a person's habits and behaviors? And so here we go. This goes back to kind of what we were talking about a while ago. Yep. Uh, so since sanctification, I'm going to pull up a passage of scripture right quick. And this is Matthew 7, uh, 17 through 20. Um, Matthew 7, oops, 7, 17, goodness, 17 through 20, if I can get it pulled up here. This will be the last scripture we read here. Um, and Curtis, I'll let you make your own judgment about how far you want to read that, because that's all really, really good. Uh, but uh, before we get to the scripture, let me just say this. Since sanctification is the process by which the Spirit makes a person to the image of Christ, 
that it stands to reason that sanctification will evoke a change in a person's habits and behaviors. A transformed person will not have the same desires that one used to have. And and as we go went back go back to the question you asked previously in the podcast, if there's not some change that happens there, if there's not some transformation to at least some degree, then you have to really wonder whether or not there's a true profession of faith made. Only God knows in the end, but uh, but we do need to emphasize, you know, following God in, in following his ways. A transformed person will not have the same desires that they used to have. And again, if there's no change in the person, then then we really need to be uh, you know emphasizing the importance of turning our whole lives over to Christ. Now, Jesus emphasized the importance of telling a tree by its fruit. Uh, so let's take a look at Matthew 7, 17 through 20. Sure. So I'll just read all the way down to 23, Brian, because it's, it's, it sounds good. It's a good um, indication here. But um, and he was talking about um, prior to this, he was talking about um, that you can't get um, good fruit from a bad tree or bad fruit uh, from a good tree. Um, so he was talking about that or, or, you know, like he says in their figs from thistles. So let me go to 17. It says in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, mind you, this is probably the scariest verse in the Bible. Let me back up and read that 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name? Do many miracles in your name? Jesus says then, I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That's a scary verse, man. See, I was just going to say to reiterate what you just said. I think I think you're right. That is the scariest verse in all the Bible. Yep. Those that uh, do certain Christianese things, uh, but have not um, walked fully, um, producing fruit, uh, bearing fruit um, to God or for God. Sure seems like it indicates here that uh, um, that's going to be one of those. And if you understand um, Eastern, uh, uh, take an Eastern understanding of this, those back then, if if a son or a daughter uh, left or or um, did certain things, you know, uh, went away and chose to go away, like like. For example, the parable of the prodigal son, technically in that Eastern thought that that son was dead to them, Mm. never to return. Don't don't return because I don't know you. I don't you. You you never knew me. I never knew you. That's scary. Oh, yeah. So this one's good. Is each person sanctified the same way? Well, to uh, to make it really clear, yes and no. 
Clear as mud. <laughs> clear, clear as mud. So, yes, in the sense that each person receives the same sanctifying grace by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, each person receives the same kind of grace by the Holy Spirit. So sanctification is the same for each person in that fashion or in that way. But because sanctification is individualized, uh, then each person may not be sanctified at the same rate due to different reasons. Um, It may be that uh, certain people um, may not be able to know all of, of, uh, you know, for instance, I don't think that God is going to initially, whenever a person just enters into a relationship, go through and and uh, expect that person to know everything about the Trinity or or everything about uh, the future tense of Greek and and John, whatever <laughs> passage of Scripture or the eschatological notions of the Beatitudes uh, or something like that, some advanced type of concept or theory. I'm not going to expect them to know that. Um, but that might come later, you see. So, but but in the same, it, but there may be another reason. It may be that you know, a person's not ready for something like that. It may be that it's going to take time for a person to get to that point. I mean, I think about my own life. I had doubts I, in my mind that God had an answer for me before I was ready to to start taking on certain responsibilities and start doing certain things. Um, the time had to be just right for the this podcast to come about right. and for certain things to come about in that manner. I mean, in this in itself is kind of a spiritual discipline that what we're you know what we're doing. But um, you know, it, it is it's gonna be in because it's individualized, it's gonna be different for each person. And uh people are different places in their lives. Um, but the goal should always be that we're moving towards spiritual maturity. Um, Paul was disheartened when the Corinthians hadn't grown as they should have. There's a couple of verses here. I've got them written down here. I'll go ahead and read them. In 1 Corinthians 3, 2, uh, Paul talks about how the Corinthians were still on milk when they should have been eating meat. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says the same thing in, in uh, Hebrews 5.12. Let me go and pull that up right quickly, right quick, uh, Hebrews 5.12. I don't, I don't have it up on the screen. But I'll just go ahead and pull it up, uh, Hebrews 5.12, and it says, uh, Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. And again, you need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. And so here the writer of Hebrews says the same thing that Paul does in 1 Corinthians 3, 2. The goal is to move away from the fundamentals. I mean, there's there's some, still some people who are still struggling with the fundamentals of the faith. We need to get to such a, a such a steadfast devotion and trust in those fundamental things that we can move on to deeper issues mm-hmm. of the faith. And that's that's what really they're talking about. But it's a part of that process of sanctification. And I really believe here, Curtis, that I have seen some, you know, 20 some year olds that have gone through a lot of uh, difficulties in life that spiritually speaking, may be a lot more mature than some 50 and 60 year olds oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, who may not have gone through some of the things that they have. Yeah. So mm-hmm. spiritual growth happens at different levels for different people. Yeah. Well, but, and I mean, there's, this could be why, 
you know, not a lot of people are sharing their faith um, because they're not, one, they're not growing. um, They're not feeding themselves and not growing, but yet um, they're also, um, you know, maybe hesitant in, in actually discovering more uh, because of what that may, they may be afraid of finding, finding out something that they don't want to find out that they got to change in their life. And that's exactly right. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> what is the neonate analogy? This is something I threw out there. This is <laughs> in reading from Thomas Odin's material. Uh, the late Thomas Odin was a very fascinating theologian. He was a he was a uh, he was at one time a very liberal progressive guy who doubted the fundamentals of the faith, but then he had a radical transformation in life, and uh, he really came back to uh, classical Christianity, and then he eventually got to the point, he wrote uh, a book called Classical Christianity, and then a three-part series, uh, really good theology works he had, and he uh, he's interesting because he went back and, and shared quotes not only from scripture, but from the early church fathers, and how they looked at things as well, and uh, his, his whole his whole mantra was, "I don't want to share with you anything new. I'd rather share with you something old," <laughs> and I really like that. But he uses this illustration of an of a newborn baby, and says that sanctification and salvation is a lot like a newborn baby if you think about it, because a newborn baby, the moment it's born, and even in the womb, uh, the new, newborn infant baby is a hundred percent human being. It's a hundred percent human being. But it's not grown yet. It's it's going to take it time to physically grow. And he says salvation in many ways is like that. You know, once you're justified, you're a hundred percent saved. Everybody's a hundred percent saved who's truly been who's truly been saved. But he said that growth occurs over time. And so he uses this analogy of a little baby growing into an adult, much akin to salvation itself. Now the difference is though. With human beings, barring some disease or something, some problem, you're going to naturally, within 18, 21 years, grow into an adult. The spiritual life doesn't necessarily have that same time stamp. It may be quicker than that, or it may be a lot longer than that, right. depending on you know, depending on uh, where a person is and, and how a person's relationship with the Lord is. So then, since we were there, is sanctifying grace received instantly or gradually then? So in Jesus' parable of the leaven, and this is another passage of Scripture, if we had time, we'd read it. But he, he, we see that sanctification offers uh, often occurs gradually. It's not an overnight thing. Sure. It requires patience. And that's why, that's why there are not many spiritually mature people out there uh, in these days, I dare say. Because a lot of people want spiritual maturity to happen overnight. But you pray for patience or you pray for faith. Don't, don't ever do that. Don't, don't pray for patience. But if you were to, uh, well, let's, let's say even if you pray for faith, God yep. give you more faith. God's not going to sprinkle magic faith dust over your right. head or wave a wand and automatically give you faith. Right. He's going to put you in circumstances and situations where you're going to have to trust him. Oh. And the same thing is true with for patience. Yep. To grow patience in your life, he's going to put you in situations where you're going to require to be patient. 
Um, I mean, you, you mentioned any other attribute. It's going to be yeah. pray for spiritual strength. Well, he may have to put you on your back to the, give you the, get, oh, to put you in a point where you have to depend on his strength to get you through. Um, I mean, the list can go on and on. We can keep going on with that. But the whole idea is with the parable of the leaven is that, um, you know, the leaven was put in and eventually, you know, came out in the bread and the kingdom of God was like that. It's, it's, we initially saved, but it grow in our relationship with God and it grows and develops in our lives over time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just keep going because there's a lot there. Um, But, you know, just like you said, putting us through certain things. So um, building us up, if if you think about um, the the Old Testament and and the things that that Israel had to go through to build itself up, um, to go into the promised land, what they have to do? Well, they had to go in and search and seek and and spy it out. And they could have went in. If they wouldn't have come back and said, um, you know, the 10 others wouldn't have said, hey, there's giants there. I don't know. We're scared. And and, you know. You think about that, uh, God put all of those through certain we see them as as written on pages as an instant, a, a thing that happened instantly. But that was 40 years, 40 years mm-hmm. of wilderness. That's why I love, I mean, Curtis, you got me hooked on the Chosen series. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who have negative things to say about anything and everything. But I really love it. I mean, and I know that not all of it can be proven by Scripture, but that's never was that was the intent. That's not the intent. It's, it's to challenge you to see between the lines, to see the everyday life. What we see on the pages of Scripture are those big major events revealed by the Spirit. But what about other things that could have happened between the lines? And that's what I love about the series. It's very compelling. Mm-hmm. It, it really it really uh, sparks your imagination to start thinking about what was a normal day like right. in, the, in the lives of, of Jesus and these early disciples. And, and so, uh, you know, we read about these events that happened over three and a half years at least. Yeah. But – there were a lot of other things that was take that took place that we'll never see. And so it wasn't like every day was necessarily a miracle. There may have been many times where every day there was a miracle, but there may have been a long spans of time where, you know, it's just normal everyday life. Right. Right. Yeah. It's not like the gospels were written in three days, you know? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> it took a while. So <laughs> can we help or hinder our spiritual growth? We kind of already answered this, but yeah. We have. I, and I just want to just want to uh, really put a stake down the ground to to uh, as we end the podcast tonight just to really remind everybody that that we we are not we're not passive agents when it comes to right. sanctification. Yes, the Lord is do, the one doing the work in our lives. I'm not saying otherwise to that and would never say anything otherwise to that, but we can help or hinder the process along. You know, if we, if we decide to willfully sin, if we decide to willfully do things that's not in the will of God, uh, God's our heavenly father. He's not Santa Claus. And so it may very well be if we continue to willfully sin and do things that we're not supposed to, that God may have to take us to the woodshed a couple of times. 
I know that's not popular these days, but I know for as one, you know, being one who's ta- been taking the woodshed a couple times, uh, that 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 is a very good possibility. So God's our heavenly Father; He's doing these things for our good, uh, not to hurt us, but to help us, but to to grow us along in the faith. And mm-hmm. and uh, but we can certainly hinder the process by being uh, rebellious. Mm. And you know what? Um, God's grace is, is like a rubber band. The further out you go, when it comes back, it <laughs> snaps and it hurts a whole lot more. So I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so just think God's grace, rubber band. <laughs> Try to not pull that out so far. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Uh, uh, that was a good one. It, we, we went a little longer, but it, I think it was necessary and, and it helped us get, uh, uh, get, get some, some ground work built, uh, for us to understand sanctification. So and how about this curse before we close off? I didn't know that my voice was going to hold five minutes, but now we ended up having one of the longer podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah That's absolutely. the grace of God. <laughs> yeah. Right there. Yep. So, we here at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and it becomes a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and become a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christi podcast, and until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christie Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christie Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christie Ministries, go to bellatorchristi.com.